The difference between good communicators and great ones, very honestly, lies within their definition of communication. This is the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast, sharing thought-provoking content and discussions to enhance your leadership development journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Here is your host, Chantal Nash, Digital Learning and Engagement Manager from the team at Crotonville, GE's Global Learning Institute. Today, I have Ellen Cooper Person, a very interesting woman. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. Ellen is the Chief Executive Officer of Cooper Person Performance Consulting, one of the leading organizational development firms in the Northeast. Ellen is a recognized authority in corporate culture and communication, executive coaching, family and business strategy, team building, and women's leadership. She's been featured in two publications, Women Who Changed America and She Takes on the World, both anthologies of women who have changed the landscape and culture of America. She is also awarded the Best in Training and Excellence in Organizational Transformation Awards from the American Society for Training and Development. And Ellen has facilitated successful leaders toward positive lasting change in behavior for themselves, their people, and their teams, ranging anywhere from small businesses to um, Fortune 500 companies. So thank you so much, Ellen, for being on the podcast today. Again, really excited to be talking with you. Thank you, Chantel. I'm delighted, really delighted to be here. And it's really a privilege to be a part of this whole initiative that GE is involved in and to have this opportunity to be here with you. Thank you. So I gave a little bit of an introduction, but I think it would be really great to get a little more uh, information from you on just your general background. How did you get into this space of, you know, the coaching and development uh, I was thinking when you when you mentioned about um, executive coaching that I started in executive coaching before there was a name for it, mm. and I would be introduced in companies, and they would say, "This is Ellen. She's our um, oh, I don't know. You'll see." So, <laughs> um, there was a time when there was so there wasn't a name for it. There was just the need for it. Um, and, uh, you know, foundationally, uh, I started in that field, you know, how I got, who I got here and, you know, the, the, the bottom line quick of that is that I was the executive director of women's educational and counseling for the State University of New York at Farmingdale, a program that I started for the State University, helping women to come back into the job market. And that was at a time when there were no women in, quote, non-traditional jobs. Mm. And my role was to introduce women to new careers in things like computers and computer technology and areas that uh, women previously had not been involved in. And at that time, I had about, in the 10 years I was doing that, I had about 17,000 women go through that program wow. from all over the metropolitan area. Yeah. Real privilege for me. Um, and the programs I developed for women, I started to be asked to do those programs for companies in general as the women were going into the workplace. Mm. Could I do those programs? Because more and more women were in the workplace, and so companies were asking me to do programs on inclusion, 
on opening the lines of communication around the area of diversity. At that time, the big diversity was both women and men in the workplace together and not knowing how to communicate. So we were kind of on the cutting edge of opening up the doors for that to begin to happen. And it started to develop the passion for me uh, even more so about communication and what was possible uh, for that, as well as understanding the need for cultural change. Mm. So that was kind of foundational in the workspace. Um, and of course, you know, my name change case was also foundational in making a difference for what we evolved to. Yeah, so let's tell our listeners a little bit about that because I uh, <laughs> I have I have to reveal Ellen's original name is not Cooper Persis. So tell us about it. So uh, we rewind the clock. It's 1976, and at that time, uh, my name was Cooper Mann, and I was in a temple at the time. That's when it came to me. And the woman next to me, who had just become an ordained minister, one of the one of the first, was changing the liturgy um, as we were in the service, and she was changing uh, the words "fathers" to "parents," "only sons" to "children," and honestly, Chantel, the language came alive for me for the first time, and I started to realize that words like man and mankind, that women are always doing like a double flip in their heads. Does that mean me? Does it not mean me? Is the man in the street men or is it? Well, anyway. So I decided at the time that I wanted to change my name and I applied very, you know, simply for a name change Mm -hmm. and the judge turned me down. Mm -hmm. And he turned me down in a 15-page decision that made international (laughs) news. Uh, now, it, you know, if I had wanted to go and my name was, you know, Donald Duck and I wanted to be Cinderella, it wouldn't have been a problem. Right. But at that time, going from man to person was a very big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, why he turned me down, he said he was afraid I would start a national precedent. Uh-huh. I should have such power, Chantel. <laughs> of course, by turning me down, <laughs> by turning me down, his worst fear came true. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the big things was that male and female jobs were separated by, by, by job titles. Mm-hmm. So we used to have the want ads, women wanted, men wanted. And then the titles like draftsman, mm. uh, only men would apply for. So my case was about if we change it to graphic artist instead of drafts man, mm-hmm. both women and men will apply. If we take airline stewardess and change it to flight attendant, both women and men would apply for those positions. So as a result of fighting for my name um, for two years, uh, the want ads changed as a, as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I often say, Chantel, I think that the reason he got so hot about it, the judge, was his name. You ready for what his name was? Yeah, give it to me. Yeah, the judge's name was Schleppy, Judge Schleppy. (laughs) So I guess he figured he'll live with Schleppy, I'll live with Superman, (laughs) and you know. Right, so point 
being, it went on for two years. And it really was the uh, platform for talking about the power of language. Mm -hmm. And that, that word, our transformation, our, the opportunity to change, lives in the language that we use. If you call someone a chick, broad, babe, heifer, cow, it's a very different conversation and impact on a human being than calling them, uh, you know, with words of respect. And we know for change in our own life, and now stop talking about this, we know for change in our own life that it's the power of words. And so this was all about changing behavior, providing access and leveling the play playing field so that we could all equally participate. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And uh, I love that story. I think the two main things that I always pull out of that um, when I hear the story of yours is that, number one, it does matter so much. I think that's obvious. Um, the other thing about it is that that change started with that one moment. And I think people don't always realize that they can drive that kind of change just by taking those little actions. And um, it might not seem like it's a big deal, but it really results in this cascade of, of changes. And so when we talk about our organizations and how something like that is relevant, of course, times have changed and situations are unique and things like that. But it's a good thing to keep in mind. So I, I want to use that to actually transition then into now the overview of what you do with CPC, your company, um, and how you do some of this work in organizations and maybe with individuals as well. Yeah, great. So uh, the foundation of the work that we do in communication is helping people to understand just from the fundamental, if I were to say to you, Chantel, uh, give me your definition of communication. I don't want to put you on the spot. I know I'm being interviewed. But, you know, what? no right answer here. What would you say is the definition of communication? So give any anything is right. Well, So I went to school for communication, so I'm going to give you a very academic definition. <laughs> but, you know, something, um, somebody sending a message to another person who then receives and decodes that message to create meaning of some sort. Okay, so the difference between good communicators and great ones, very honestly, lies within their definition of communication. Oh, gosh. And what does that say? About so me? if I were to wrap, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really put you on the spot there. I got it. But if we were to wrap a bow around what you just said, if we put one word to the word communication, that communication is reception. Mm, yeah. It's what does the person receive, regardless of our intention, right? Exactly, yeah. Do they get our meaning? Do they get our intention? I, I remember saying, and I, you know, I'll go back to the business in a minute, but I remember saying to my, my husband, I said, at the dinner table, where did you get the meat? And he said, why, what's wrong with it? Now, if we just take it on, right, on a personal level, people are dealing with that kind of thing all the time, both yeah. in their personal lives as well as their home lives, right? Misunderstanding meaning 
of what people are saying. And then you add um, virtual communication into the whole picture and emails and texting and all that. It's got an opportunity for a lot of misunderstanding. And so what we have done is, you know, working off the reams of data that exist about the impact of communication in organizations like let me just give you an example. The, the Reigns Group discovered that they looked at $3.5 billion worth of closed business. And they studied what was the difference that was made by the number one sellers mm-hmm. in the eyes of the buyers that, that resulted in $3.5 billion worth of business. Mm-hmm. And they found it was the ability of people to connect on a personal level with another human being. So when you ask what is the foundation of the work that we do, it's to give people the tools and the skills that they need to connect with other other human beings on a personal level, but understanding what is the style of the person that they're talking to If we go back to reception, how is this person in front of me going to receive the message that I'm delivering? And the best way to do that is being able to quickly assess and understand and have the tools that you need. Who is this person in front of me? Where are they? I'm going to use some strange language. Where are they listening from? What are they listening for? Because a lot of folks don't realize that based on our style, we are listening from and listening for different things. So I'm thinking, for example, with your listeners, if we have high drivers, and I'm sure we do out in your listening audience, you know, there's if, if I talk too much, they may have already decided I'm doing that, that, you know, they want, well, what's the bottom line? What's the point? You know, cut to the chase, don't waste my time. That's a very different approach than people who need it a little slower, a little toned down, more data, more facts. The work that we do helps people to understand the missing link. You know, everything we do is the prequel and sequel to all other learning and development programs that go on that teach skills. Because now we need to apply those skills in real settings with real human beings. Yeah. And one thing that I think um, sticks out to me about that is we often get, for our learning and development, and even more broadly than that, to be honest, we will often get people that ask, okay, we need some support to communicate XYZ initiative or just maybe announce something. What is the best channel or what channel would you recommend? And we always try to tell them something very similar to what you were just explaining um, around the fact that it depends. There's going to be different people who prefer one way or the other. And while you do certainly need to be mindful of the context and that we're not overwhelming people and there are certain things that you can do through single channels to try to hit others, that's still a multifaceted approach to make sure that you're really hitting the broadest audience you can. Because the reality is there may be people who are interested or need to know, and maybe they're never going to read their emails. It's just how they, it's just not what they do. So from that broad perspective, and even from that one-on-one, I think it's really important that people 
recognize that connection. I mean, it comes into play at all levels. So important, what so critically important what you're saying, Chantel, because a lot of organizations try to address that by using uh, tools like the DISC profile, which I think is a fabulous tool, and we use it in our own program as, as well. But the way it's introduced in a lot of organizations is um, it's kind of like people receive it, they have fun with it, they enjoy their whatever it is, half-day program on it, and it's received very much like a horoscope, you know, yeah, where they, right. they just, have, you know, and it's done, it's done with colors and it's done with animals and, and <laughs> a week, right? And a week or two later, you ask them what they're going to remember is, oh, I don't know, I was a lion, I was blue, I was a that, I'll remember. What they don't get and what the program we've done, which is to distill this 40 years of learning and metrics that we've gotten and doing this live mm -hmm. into a program where people can actually get it, that it's got, it's got tremendous power if you know how to use it mm -hmm. and reinforce it. How do you know one when you see one? Yeah. How do you, right? How do you identify who's in front of you? We had one, um, one of the Fortune 500 corporations invested a huge amount of money for their sales organization. We were not originally involved. They did a 14-module huge program, and it went on for a year. And after they beta-tested the results, what they discovered was missing was exactly what you and I are talking about. The missing link is not understanding how to apply all of that to the human being that's in front of them. Uh, let me say it this way. There are people that we meet where you have instant rapport. Mm -hmm. You get along, you like them. And then there are others, well, they they drain your energy. You have to work very hard to get on the same page, and you keep feeling like you're missing the mark. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the case of, let's, again, I'll say salespeople, but we could even apply it to managers or people talking to each other, you can start out thinking that you're saying something that's on target. And it's so misaligned with the person you're talking to that they don't get it. So we, we find it's very helpful to give people the tools they need to enter another person's model of the world. That's the program we've put together. And so what is the role of the – I have a note here about courageous conversation. What role yeah. does that play yeah. as, we're, as we're making connections with people? You know, what's very difficult – there's a, there's a particular style where conflict is very, very, very difficult. And they are avoidant of it, right? They just will avoid getting into um, conflict situations. And so one of the things that happens is it builds and it builds and it builds. It's a little like a tea kettle, right, on the stove, and the lid starts to shake, until one other thing happens and, and then it blows. So one of the things that we encourage is people being able to understand how to be forthright with what they need to say, being open and honest and direct and appropriate 
to be able to get those messages out. The name change that you and I talked about is an example of a courageous conversation because they're not, when the stakes are high and people may not agree and you may get flack and, and even, you know, emotions are strong, being able to put our point of view uh, up front and allow other people being open to what that dialogue is. If you look at, and I will not get into politics right right now, right? I treasure this opportunity too much. <laughs> but if you if you look at the even the conversations that are going on in the political landscape right now, mm-hmm. the minute people say something that another disagrees with, they just shut down. Mm-hmm. End of conversation. So we need to know how to have courageous conversations with each other and find our points of agreement, know how to move through that we have different points of view from a place of respect. Mm-hmm. And whether we're talking in the macro, we're talking in the micro, those things are critically, critically important that we stop focusing on um, labels, uh, personalities, um, and start focusing on what is it that we're talking about and that we want to come finish this conference. Where do we want this conversation to go? Yeah. What's the, what's the end result we really want, right? So it becomes um, an earmark in a lot of the organizations that I work with where people actually say to each other, we need to have a courageous mm-hmm. conversation. And it's become a language in the organization for people to know, okay, put, let's put the armor down because I need to say this. And what I'm not going to do is point my finger at you and make you wrong and make you bad. That's, that's another beauty of all this. It simply says people are different. They have different points of view. Their, their views are valid And if I come to you and I say, this is how it landed with me, I just need to share that with you. And it was upsetting for me. That's a courageous conversation because there's vulnerability. One other point, without a foundation of trust, without us having a a relationship, Chantel, if if we don't have that as a foundation, we cannot have a courageous conversation. If we have a foundation of trust, then we can have a a courageous conversation because you know where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I know that you have my best interests at heart, I have yours, and ultimately we have the organization's best interest at heart, right? So we can we know that it's not we have an agenda, we're packing, (laughs) then we can leave the conversation committed to what we're going to do. Then we have an opportunity to hold each other accountable. And when we have all that in a team, then we can focus on results. Yeah. And that's a big thing that we definitely focus on at GE as well. I mean, we um, recognize that trust is a huge factor in all of our teams. So I, I love that you hit on that. The one other thing that came to mind as you were talking is this role of resilience, because as we go through different challenges 
in our organizations, in our personal lives, um, as we're trying to communicate and have courageous conversations, there are some times when it's, you know, it's not going to happen overnight and it takes a lot of resilience to, to work through that and not just throw in the towel and say, you know, I'm done with this. So uh, I wanted to hear from you a little yeah. bit more on the role of resilience in this. God bless you, Chantel. You're on one of my favorite subjects. Um, so I w first, I want to characterize this from the point of view of leadership. In order for us to be great leaders, there are three pieces to that. One, an understanding of ourselves, an understanding of other people. And the third most important characteristic of great leaders is resilience, mm. the ability to bounce back and ride the waves. And I would like to, if, it, if it's okay with you, I want to borrow a story from my own personal life to demonstrate this for you, if that's all right. Yes, please. So uh, I was a single parent when my son was five years old, and I raised him on my own. And when my son was uh, 14, he was diagnosed with incurable cancer. And I was told that I should prepare myself that my son was going to die. And my reaction was, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And so um, we searched, and again, personal relationships and people that I met along the way. I got my son to a doctor who uh, was wonderful and cured him of incurable cancer, but we later found out that the blood transfusions that cured him of cancer gave him AIDS. I now, this was... Yeah, thank you. It's just a thank crazy you. story. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it was at the time when there was nothing on the market. Mm -hmm. And I was in a parents group at the time there were 18 mothers and uh, 18 families in that group and 18 children, and plus myself was 19, 18 children died in one year. Wow. And people said to me, you have to be realistic. You have to prepare yourself. There's nothing on the market. Your son will die. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> And again, Chantel, by the grace of God and wonderful people I've met along the way with exactly what I'm talking about here, I got to the chairman of one of the major pharmaceutical companies and got my son into a compassion trial mm -hmm. on the protease inhibitors two years before they were on the market. Mm -hmm. Bounced back from AIDS, we found out those blood transfusions also gave him hepatitis. Mm -hmm. Once again, we found a way for him to be able to be, you know, rejuvenate from that. Um, and then he developed fungal meningitis. Oh, God. So four times I was told, four times, prepare yourself, your son's going to die. And four times I said, yeah, I think not. Okay. Uh, regardless of all the naysayers, and I don't want to, you know, step over this and say this is not difficult and riding the waves and maintaining your faith through all of that and staying focused mm -hmm. on what the outcome is that you want. And then I was told um, I should prepare myself that I would never have grandchildren given all the things that my son had gone sure. through. Yeah. And so, my, yeah. And so my first grandchild was born 14 years ago. <laughs> 
and my second grandchild was born 13 years ago. And both of those young men have autism. Mm. And I said, okay, God, what was it that I didn't learn the first four times? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm still in the classroom of life, of learning. But, you know, what it boils down to is, A, we ride the waves, as I say, it's about resilience. It's about being, if you want to see an absolute hero, that's the young man that is my son who is, thank you, God, is 50 years old today. Oh, it's his birthday today? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Old, yes. Okay, so we, happy birthday. What's his name? Brian. 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 Happy yeah. birthday to Brian. I just wanted yeah. to say that on this podcast for him. Thank you very, very much. So, uh, amazing young man and, res- again, resilient and has one of the most wonderful senses of humor you'll ever want to meet in your life. Yeah. Um, and what you what it comes down to is it's not always our plan. It's it's yes, we're go it's it's about testing, it's about our metal, it's about what there is to learn. But I, I tell you, Chantel, I do believe that it has allowed me to deepen a sense of compassion uh, for what people go through and to be able to deliver the message that it's not over till it's over, Mm -hmm. you know? And you know, in a race, it's those last few minutes. It's not the time to collapse. It's the time to reinvigorate ourselves and give it all we got for the last quarter mile, the last stroke, whatever it is, you know, there's a great expression that says, don't quit before the miracle happens. Mm, Yeah. You know, and I think this, this, what I share with you, of course, you know, this is definitely the story of miracles and the miracles also connect with the people I've met along the way, in the craziest ways, in the craziest places, on an airplane where you just start up a conversation or you meet Chantel or somebody's in your listening audience. <laughs> Seriously. And you say, I'm needing this or I'm looking for this or I'm, because it, it's so true. Ask, knock, it'll be delivered. Mm. You know, we, and I, and I just think we need to embrace that and, and have the courage to be able to ask for the help and support that we need and not to give up. Yeah. It's a very, very critical piece. Well, and so the, the stuff that I, the gems that I find in all of these stories definitely have to do going all the way back to, to what you're saying earlier about connection, because I think as no matter what severity of, of challenges we're going through, we can all get these blinders or we become discouraged or we just, you know, become, have a bad attitude about stuff. And we can go into these interactions or the decisions that we're trying to make thinking that we know how it's going to turn out, or maybe we don't know, but again, we're just negative about it. Keeping that in mind that we don't know until we know, um, and not to give up until we actually have evidence is so important to being able to be open to that connection. Because when we're not, then those relationships, we might not even have a chance to build them if we're closing that off so quickly. You know, I think that the listeners, the people who have taken it, the people who are listening in your audience right now, there's there's many other places they could be. You and I both know that. Oh, yeah. There's many other places, people demanding their attention. 
But your listening audience is up to something, right? <laughs> They're up to something. And they, they are willing to take that extra time, you know, when they're working out or eating lunch or whatever it is, to learn, to grow, to develop, to be in dialogue. So bottom line, I say, hang with the winners who want you to win. Yeah. Okay. Not with the people who want you to lose. We don't need naysayers and negativity around us. Those are like energy vampires, you know, mm-hmm. they just they just drain all the blood out of you. That especially when we you know we're feeling depleted and the pace at which everybody works mm-hmm. is you know huge. It's what's gonna infuse us uh with that resilience. The other piece that's directly related to the workplace we're talking about, I wrote a piece called The Money-Making Personality. Okay. One of the key characteristics of the money-making personality, the people who, who can accumulate wealth, that wind up at the top of organizations, are successful in their careers, is this ability that you and I are talking about right now. It's the ability to have resilience, to bounce back, as opposed to resignation. And the resignation of, this is the way it is, Uh, there's nothing I can do, it's not my fault, Um, I'm just a victim in all of this, Uh, there's somebody else to blame. In in corporations, I call it the corporate coat of arms, Mm -hmm. you know, pointing outward (laughs) as soon as you change them then you know that i will change so the message of course is we need to be the change yeah and we need to be able to connect with other people who are also up to something because you know they inspire you yeah that that you know just like olympic champions they run with other champions yeah to pace them yeah, and I like that you said inspire because that's the that's the second thing that I was going to say that I pulled out was that in addition to the whole piece on keeping connected and not not resigning, that also helps inspire other people when they see that even in a hard time, you can kind of keep that outlook. Now, one thing that I did want to say is in some cases, of course, um, sometimes we do need to let stuff go, and if, especially if the uh, the value of holding on to it and um, you know, trying and trying and trying, and maybe you're getting dragged down somehow or losing time or d- whatever it is. I just wanted your thoughts on that in terms of how do you guide people in situations where, okay, m- maybe you do need to let this go a little bit. Yeah, I believe that we bring things into our lives. People, situations occur for us to learn something. Mm-hmm. When when the lesson is learned, I mean, even when I was going through this with my son, someone said to me who was very, very ill, she said, in a pile of manure, daisies grow. Mm-hmm. Always look for the daisy, yeah. right? Look for the daisy. What I've experienced in my own life is when I have learned what I need to learn from having a, the, this relationship mm-hmm. or this situation, then I can let go of it easily and move on. So I think if we look at these difficult situations that we have and what we call difficult people, to be able to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm supposed to be learning from all of this? If, if something is coming up that you're feeling the resistance, 
it's a good opportunity for us to look at what's going on with us. Mm. You, you know, that's a great point because um, I just wrote a note here that when you're asking that question of what am I supposed to be learning um, in a difficult situation, it is you are just you're reflecting on yourself, going to your first most important piece of a great leader understanding of self. I mean, when you're really asking that question back of yourself, I think that would be very helpful to, to helping us move through. And I think we tend to oversimplify each other as people just in terms of the psychology behind it and the culture. And there's so much that it's, it is definitely a complex thing. So asking for help, even if it's something as simple as connecting with another person or sitting down with that person and really having that lens of learning um, just really, I think, takes me anyway, all the way to where I'm at today, the passion that you and I both have in this in this field. Yeah, yeah. Two, two things that, you know, what you're saying here is really so brilliant. Number one is in those difficult situations, what we want is for the other to change. You know, if they would just change what they're doing yeah. and it just seems so simple. And part of our teaching, you know, and the sharing that we're doing here is what Gandhi said, be the change. Yeah. So if I will, if, and and people get very confused about that because they say, well, number one, they don't believe people can can change. And number two, well, I can't change who I am and I don't want to change who I am. And it's so important to understand Nobody is asking you to. Mm-hmm. We can't anyway, so you might as well give that up. After all my years <laughs> of being on this earth, I'll tell you, you can anyway. Yeah. Um, however, what we can change is certain behaviors that are not getting us the results that we want, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, your point about complex Everyone that's been awake in the last, you know, two decades knows, you know, the minute you say what's the definition of crazy, everybody knows, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And they do it almost like a song. Yeah. The definition of crazy is doing the same thing in the same way. Right. Same thing. So they've said it. Okay. Doing the same thing in the same way again, you know, expecting, expecting the same results. result. Different yeah. result. Right. Crazy. All right. Now, I always say, what has knowing got to do with it? Because everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. But they're still doing the same thing in the same way, expecting a different result. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. No, there's, I I heard somewhere once that, because there's also this, which I think is, is important to position in our minds, especially when, when somebody rubs us the wrong way, maybe is this whole uh, concept of intent. I, I do think it's important. At the same time, I have heard it often used in in a way where it's almost like an excuse for behavior and and finally one day i saw something that said um your intent does not justify your approach so even if your intents are good you still have to be mindful of how your approach is coming off and sure sometimes we can't always do that or whatever but acknowledging that and not just using oh well that wasn't my intent sometimes people need to to realize that that's not a free pass yeah, you're right. And I call those reasons and excuses. We always have an opportunity to respond instead of react 
to what goes on around us. And I understand we're human beings, and occasionally <laughs> we're, we're going to get triggered. Right. But again, you know, we step back. How could I have handled that differently? And that's an example of going back, owning it, right. and cleaning it up. Okay? But we always have the opportunity to choose responding instead of reacting. Yeah. I'll give you one little gem here that I think might be uh, interesting. So in a, that an organization is a network of conversations, right? Mm -hmm. In an organization, nothing else is going on but conversation, right? right? Verbal, nonverbal, it's all communication. And in a healthy organization, what people are talking about vision, mission, goals, strategies, implementation, tasks, the wonderful conversation you and I are having, right? But I'm going to venture to say in 80% of the organizations, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about stories, gossip, my opinion of what you should do, drama, right? Mm -hmm. Blame, finger pointing. That's what's going on. And if those conversations get transformed from that kind of dysfunction to the conversations of healthy organizations, it's not only what we're saying, it's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not only the how, it's what we're talking about. Are we having good, productive conversations for growth, for development, for inspiration, for a better life, for making the world a better place. That's worth our spending our time on. Really making the decision, I have a boundary. I am not going into that dark, nasty neighborhood. Right. I'm just not going there. And I'm going to stay on this side of the street without being, you know, Pollyannic, Without, you know, yes, we need to be uh, connected to reality, but I do believe that we have the power to be able to invent your life, to be able to create it, to be able to say, no, I'm not going into that dark, nasty neighborhood. I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to stay inspired. I am here to, I'm up to something. I'm being called by something, and that's what I'm going to do in my life. That's what I'm here to do, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and not letting anybody talk out of it, because um, outside of our comfort zone is where the magic happens. So we we can't have people around us that you know just help us to stay safe and comfortable. Right. We we got to get pushed a little bit out of. You know what's what's safe and comfortable right yeah. yeah and sometimes that person is ourself so that's right that's absolutely right so good self-talk and that's again what we were talking about know yourself we need to know what our strengths are and what our development opportunities are and the sooner we learn that bill gates said i wish i had known this earlier in my life exactly what we're talking about yeah what, what you and i are talking about Yes, absolutely. And so that's what I was just going to say, if people are interested, because um, this is something that's so important for so many areas of life, you can definitely learn more about the work that uh, Ellen is doing 
on her website, cooperperson.com. And then there's also the website for the uh, Connect for Effective Communication course. Uh, is, it, is it just a course or is it a program? How would you describe that? Well, it is a, it is a course. It's um, eight micro learning sessions and each one of them is less than 10 minutes. So it fits right into our life. Um, And it also has um, energizers. So once a month we do reinforcement for the program to keep us all in the conversation. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So people can find that on connectcpc.com. And I'll put that in the show notes too, so people can find it there. Also, if you want to get in touch with Ellen, you can just email uh, her at info at cooperperson.com. Right. You can follow us on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a Twitter page, so you can follow us on all of those. And on our website, you know, the icons are there. So uh, you can find us on all of those social media pages. Yes, on Twitter, uh, Ellen's handle is at cooperperson. So you can find her there. But yes, everything is on the, the Cooperperson website as well. So you can just find all the socials. And um, I'll make sure to link to some of those uh, other items that we discussed in this episode as well. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before we go? Oh, gee, um, <laughs> uh, that this, yeah, this has been um, this has been awesome to spend time with you. Um, and I have just been so blown away by how GE in particular and and your team. Um, has been so cutting edge on the learning and development platform. I just, um, I really think you're leading the way and understanding um, how learners want to learn and providing to people what they need in real time, real information in real time. So what I really want to say is it's just been a privilege, a privilege to be invited and a privilege to be able to work with you all. Um, and I hope that this has provided something um, of value to to your listeners. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, Ellen. I we appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for your kind words. You know, I don't mean to be corny or like super cliche about this, but seriously, the connection with people is just what drives us so much. And um, I, you know, it's it's an honor for me to get your time. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I know our listeners will will find great value in it as well. Thank you very much, Antel. Wonderful connecting with you. I look forward to reconnecting as we go. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and of course, like, comment, rate, and share. Thanks for listening.